0: Hour number three to get right. We're Reggie KG on 105 through The Fan. Kevin Gray, Reginald Atatula. What's at happening? Ruben Portillo holding it down for you here on your turn it on, leave it on, <laughs> on station 105 through The Fan. Yes, player to Pat- Platypus making his. Yeah, well, I almost messed it up. It's okay, uh, no problem. Uh, making his nightly appearance here. Are NFL free agents being inspired by NBA contracts? We'll have that conversation here in just a moment here on your home of the Dallas Cowboys and. The Texas Rangers, it is three to 3-1 in the bottom of the seventh inning as Team Japan is up by two on Team USA in the World Baseball Classic Final taking place in Miami, Florida as Team Japan trying to take out the reigning champions of the World Baseball Classic Team USA. Meanwhile, Stars down 3-1 to one at the end of two at the American Airlines Center. They're trying to climb back in against the Seattle Kraken on this Tuesday night. By the way, real quick, Rob Manfred says that the World Baseball Classic will be back in 2026 for those who were um, not wanting to see it come back after this due to some of the biggest stars in the game suffering injury during this World Baseball Classic. Jose Altuve apparently is going to be out for a couple months with a broken thumb. And you hate to see it. You really do. Edwin Diaz is done for the year Ugh. for the New York Mets after tearing his knee up in celebration um, during the World Baseball Classic. So I mean, that's
1: really gotta sting for the Mets. I mean, obviously the money wise, that's insured, but you're losing quite you know a incredible closing pitcher. So that's that's really tough. But I mean, you see the. The place that it holds in the uh, the hearts and the minds of folks. And like, I, as Levi said, I think that this is something that can continue to grow, right? It's something that it's going to take a little foresight for some of us, you know, to to just hold on and just watch it watch it grow. And so that it's not simply, you know, a couple of teams that are really good and, you know, a whole bunch of te- other teams just competing, but hopefully grow into
0: a, a fantastic all-the-way-around uh, event. Last night on this real quick, apparently mm-hmm. – Shohei Otani gave an inspired uh, pregame speech to Team USA in which he said in part, I'm sorry, to Team Japan. Oh, no, I was like, that
1: would be really interesting if he was like, let me come over here and let y'all know we want a good game. So let me get y'all hyped up. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) To which he told uh, his uh, Japanese teammates, quote, let's stop admiring them. If you admire them, you can't surpass them. We came here to surpass them, to reach the top. Oh. For one day, let's throw away our admiration for them and just think about winning.
1: He said, they not, they not nothing special over there. <laughs> we got that. They not that nice. Don't uh, even worry about Shohei, it.
0: Shohei, I like it. I like that from him.
1: going to be great wearing that T on his hat.
0: <laughs> Could you imagine the shows that would happen that day if Shohei Otani became a Texas Ranger?
1: Yeah, shut it down. Shut
0: the whole thing down. Shut the whole thing down. The NFL may be getting closer to a little bit of a shutdown, the way things are happening with these contracts these days. Are NFL contracts or NFL players getting inspired by NBA contracts? Because we started a little bit of this conversation last night as Laramie Tunsil got a new deal with Houston, signing a three-year $75 million deal. $32 of that comes in year number one for the starting left tackle of the Houston Texans. But we've seen a series of one-year deals. Mm-hmm. CJ Gardner-Johnson yeah. getting a one-year deal. Dalton Schultz, his detail, his contract details coming out. He signed a one-year deal worth up to $9 million. He will make $6.25 million with two point seven five million in incentives, similar to the Mike Gasecki deal that he signed with the New England Patriots. We've seen a series of one-year deals for players or two-year deals, shorter contracts for players as they find themselves in what has been a very uninspiring uh, free agency market, I would say, this offseason.
1: At the top end, yeah, although I guess some people would counter... Everybody can't be out here expecting that they're going to blow the top off the market. Some folks are going to end up disappointed and maybe some people would say that's what we're seeing. But it does seem odd that we there's a few free agents out here that we anticipated being big money guys and that did not seem to have their market um, upheld in the same way that they viewed it, that they thought it would be and that's the odd thing about it. So obviously now we start making discovery having discussions and trying to figure out why it is that we did not see what we expected to see. And obviously some people will land on like collusion, but you put forward an interesting idea that maybe just maybe the NFL players are are trying to are learning from NBA and the ways that they're going about it where the star players in the NBA and of course they're dealing with you know max ca- or max salaries and things of that nature. And so, if they feel like they cannot get um, what they want in all the money that they want over a long period of time, they will take shorter deals and have an opportunity to come back to the the negotiation table sooner. When maybe the cap jumps, or maybe when there's more available, more money available, and then have other bites of the apple. It's kind of what Laramie Tunsil does here because he'll have another opportunity to have a big time deal mm-hmm. um, when he is, I think, like 32. 31 something like that so I think that's an interesting thought I don't know if that is what's motivating the one year deals though
0: I am curious because when you look at let's just take it from the players perspective as you were starting to allude to if I'm a player especially if I'm one of the top five at my position where I know that I probably given good health will see multiple contracts in my NFL career there is calculated risk for me to be able to sign a series of two- to three-year deals as the salary cap continues to explode, yeah. because if I look at my career in four- and five-year windows, that means I could have, at minimum, two- to three contracts. Let's say if you're one of those players that find themselves playing, you know, having a 10-year career, for example, you could get three contracts if you go down that route, and calculate it in a way that allows you to take advantage of the salary cap continuing to grow year after year, especially if you're getting signing deals that allows you to get a lot of guaranteed money up front, front front-loaded deals that allows you to see a lot of money in years one and two, for example. That way, you can get as much money you can up front, and then by the time you get to the end of your deal, you're cashing in again by getting back in the free agency that much faster.
1: I think you also you're starting to point to one of the reasons why I am not sure how much this is a motivating factor for them cuz like it feels like all deals in the NFL are two or three year deals, right? You can call it a five year deal, but very re- rarely are you yeah. seeing teams fully or even mostly guaranteed deals. They will give you guarantees for 2 to 3 seasons anyway. So though and very often there's some level of restructure that comes or some level of cut or whatever I don't know what the actual numbers are, and I actually would love to see any numbers on it, on what the amount or the number of folks who actually reach the end of the deals that they negotiated, mm-hmm. you know, entirely clean is, because it does not seem like that's the case anymore. So that's kind of what they where they are. If you just have those deals guaranteed for two or three years, that's kind of all there is to expect. Now the phenomenon of the one-year deals really and truly seems like a situation where they're just looking up and saying that the money that they want is not available and rather than taking a, a slightly, you know, a substandard deal for them one year and jump back in. Also, the idea of like going the shorter, shorter route kind of feels antithetical to the game itself. Football is a harmful game on the body, right? Like the idea that the next time you come around, you're going to have all the leverage that you want is somewhat naive, right? Because in basketball, you come back around to the next contract. If it's Kevin Durant who has had foot injuries, he's still Kevin Durant, right? If it's LeBron James or whomever, right, we can go down the route. If they have had some level of injury, that does not harm their negotiation unless it is actively shown to have stopped their ability. In football, it don't matter if it's shown to, like, if, if a injury is like, yo, he is definitely, you know, a lesser player. Even if it's not that, if it's like, yeah, we're not sure – that's going to harm your negotiating power. And yeah. with that, the idea that more money is going to be on the table next time I take a bite at the apple in two years, if you have an injury in those two years, you might more money might not be available for you. And there's always a whole bunch of you know people in the draft coming that are going to be younger and going to be cheaper, and that's going to undercut your market as well. So I don't know necessarily that this is the way that football players should go en masse Maybe there are little there are places that it should be going there. Like quarterback is a position where you get injured, and unless it's major problems, you should still have that market. And maybe that's just maybe that's the way that Lamar Jackson should look at it in the ways that he's dealing with his current situation.
0: Yeah, because conventional wisdom traditionally says that you want to get as much long-term security as possible. As an NFL player, yeah. given, as you mentioned, the violent nature of the game itself.
1: And contra, I mean, sorry, careers often don't last wildly long, if you go mm-hmm. and look at them, on average.
0: But if we're going to see players, which we've seen, for example, we were talking about earlier, Dante Hightower retire at the age of 33, maybe you're looking at your career, if you're an NFL player, at the top of your game and saying, I want to get as much money as I can in a short period of time mm-hmm. because I want to get out of the game a little bit sooner than what conventional wisdom says I would normally if I wanted to play for a 10-12 year career. So maybe taking shorter deals with more guaranteed money allows me to secure my financial future now so I can get out of the game and still have my faculties and still be able to have a successful and healthy life after the game of football is over with. Yeah, but the tough thing about that is if you take a longer deal, you can always retire.
1: Right, like this, that it would not stop you from walking away when you want to, unless like they're signing bonus money or whatever that you need to give back. But for the most part, like if you sign longer deal, you will also be able to walk away when you are ready to. Um, all the benefits of the short-term deal, maybe I shouldn't say all, but a lot of them that I'm looking at. Still benefit the team more than anything, right? The idea of um, on the truckwreck.com com text line, um, the new deals allow great players to go to good teams and compete. It jumbles the competition, sure, but I think that's also what we're doing right here with the with these play, or with these teams rather, right? Like that helps these teams out. Um, and from the 972, they point out this is what Eckler's thinking. Strike while the iron is hot. And also, again, he is in this place where he is still probably underpaid for what he is delivering. So, yeah, let's go get that money right now when the, when you it's available for you to have it. But he is, again, a guy who is under contract on one of these longer.
0: And the timing for what he's attempting to do right now is not great because the NFL has clearly looked at the running back market and the value that comes with being a running back and has devalued it quite a bit. And even with the amount of production that he has put forward there, there's a lot for him to consider and whether or not he I think he ultimately winds up back in Los Angeles, to be honest with you. Like
1: a lot of the running backs that have been rumored to be out there for trade. I haven't heard a lot of you know noise on them moving. It seems like the teams were just like, oh, you can get more, you can get more money elsewhere? Go find it. Try it. And in the same way from the two and four, could this be pushback for teams due to the recent fully guaranteed deals? That's what I, that's what it feels like. Right. And again, I don't want to be an the, official resetting. Yeah, I didn't want to be the person to jump to like, yo, it's collusion. But when we talk around it, it does feel like all these teams are just like we will not go to that place and Cleveland. Right. Right. We will not go to that place. And so when it comes down to it, you come around and you, you know, even if you don't sit down and make a hey, guys, what we're going to do is not pay these players. All of these teams basically are doing, you know, the thing where they look up and they're like, we're just not gonna go there. We're not gonna go for that. Whether it's Lamar Jackson at quarterback, whether it's tight end, whether it's, you know, you know, cornerback safety, they're just trying to like set the market at we are not going to allow this to continue to rise up and up and up. And that kind of stinks because there's a lot of money in this and it really should go around, especially for the best player.
0: This may be a conversation that we have down the road, but I do think, and I've said this a while back. I can't remember how long ago I said it, but I think it was with Chris Arnold and I said, look, there's going to be coming to a point here, not into, you know, the too distant future where the NFL is going to look at the ex- continued explosion of quarterback salaries and get to a point where, like, all right, this is too much. And I think we might have already gotten to that point because mm. it feels very clear that the line in the sand has been drawn when it comes to guaranteed money, and Lamar Jackson, unfortunately, might be the example here that the NFL is using to say, "All right, enough's enough." Proxy war. This is a proxy
1: of all players versus all owners. On will we be able to push forward guaranteed contracts yes. at the highest level? That's what it always has felt like to me.
0: So get right, Reggie KG, right here on one hundred five three of the fan. Coming up next, we get back into the Mavericks conversation. When we welcome in Grant Afseth of Mavericks SI, join us to talk all things Mavericks basketball next on One Hundred through The Fan. A Kyle Schwarber solo home run off of Yu Darvish gets the USA within one against Team Japan. It is the bottom of the eighth with one out as the team USA as Team USA is trying to find a way to uh, get the game tied at least. Against team Japan's to get right with Reggie KG on one Oh five through the fan. Kevin Gray, Reginald, Atatula, Ruben Portillo holding it down for you here. Coming up here in just a moment via the diamond factory hotline, Grant Afseth of Mavericks SI going to be joining us here to talk all things Mavericks basketball as the final 10 games of the regular season are upon us starting tomorrow when the Mavericks take on the golden state warriors at the AAC. Speaking of the America Airlines center, your stars, in action currently against the Seattle Kraken as your stars looking to uh, come back in this game down 3-1 to one with 1908 left in the third period at home. But right now, though, we do go to the Diamond Factory Hotline. He covers the Dallas Mavericks for DallasBasketball.com and an in, NBAAnalyst.net in as well. Grant Afseth joining us here via the Diamond Factory Hotline. Grant, good evening, sir. How are you?
2: I'm doing pretty well. Uh, looking
0: forward to talking about the Mavericks for sure. Well, we appreciate you joining us and taking a little bit of time with us. I got to ask you because, you know, you've been on the road quite a bit as of late covering this team. What has that experience been like for you? As you have all of a sudden become. Uh, the voice of the Mavericks when it comes to social media, wise. Yeah, I was with, like, I feel like Mark Follower will. Uh... No, 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 okay, not, not the television voice, gotcha, but gotcha, the gotcha. Uh, the voice of Mass
2: Twitter, if ah. you will,
0: with all of the uh, great questions that you have been posing to various members of the organization as of late.
2: Yeah, it's been a really cool experience. Like, uh, you know, I think whenever you uh, have to uh, go to different cities uh, for like a back to back or uh, you know three games and four nights. It definitely uh, gives you a greater appreciation uh, for players that have to actually play in the basketball game. Um, But, yeah, it's been cool because this is my first year of actually uh, regular, like, in-person daily coverage. So being able to, uh, you know, not have to kind of wait for a whole week and a half whenever there's a road trip and to be able to, like, keep, uh, you know, covering things on a regular basis, that's been a, a very good experience for sure.
1: Grant, I feel like you bring a pretty unique perspective here with, you know, this first season. And I guess outside of just like the wear of travel on athletes, what is something that you've noticed in this change, this period in traveling with the team um, that maybe the average fan or media folk member that just sits at home and watches it probably doesn't understand about this, uh, this team and basketball?
2: I think the best example would probably just be the uh, the crazy work ethic that some of these guys have. Like Kyrie Irving in particular really stands out. Um, he he'll show up like three and a half three hours early and uh, get on the court uh, before a game like two and a half uh, two hours forty five minutes. But before that, he's like like in Memphis. I, I walk down the you know the the hallway and he's in the weight room. Uh, getting a, a weight workout in, and then he goes on the court, does all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, he's practicing all kinds of variables on his finishes, his, you know, off dribble jumpers. Like, there's a lot of, uh, uh, like, details that go into it. And then after the game, before he talks to uh, the reporters, he's doing another workout and doing all kinds of, like, you know, treatment stuff uh, before and after the game. Like, there's there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, beyond just kind of walking in with uh, Beats headphones uh, and then putting on the uniform.
0: Grant, as you've covered this team throughout the course of this season, let's start with the lineups here, because that's been a you know, topic of conversation throughout the course of the year. What would you say you have lamented most about some of the frustration about lineups that we've seen, whether it be Christian Wood, the lack of him in the lineup, or things that you've observed based on how this team puts out its lineup's night in and night out?
2: Yeah, I think there's been a lot of, uh, you know, different uh, uh, issues, I would say, with some lineups throughout the year. I think, uh, you know, before the trade deadline, there was a little easier path to having uh, a lot of the holes uh, filled in the starting lineup. With Dorian Finney-Smith at the four, uh, it made playing that, like, four uh, smalls and one big sort of approach easier. uh, Because I think, you know, a lot of people focus on, like, height uh, when they talk about, like, Um, you know, small ball and all, but uh, with Dorian uh, being gone, they lose like that 220 pound uh, strong uh, guy that could play the four and Reggie Bullock um, slides from being at that three spot guarding, you know, a little bit smaller perimeter players um, to having to, uh, you know, at 200 200 pounds fill the role that Dorian uh, filled before they started using those big lineups. Um, And, you know, I think it's like a little late in the year uh, to necessarily shift uh, so drastically to going from those uh, those four smalls with two wings that do a lot of the work flying around uh, to then trying to execute defensively uh, without like a high level rim protector at the five, but also like, um, you know, just those two bigs. Um, That's it's a very different uh, style change.
1: So Grant, we're talking to Grant Afseth of DallasBasketball.com right here on the Diamond Factory Hotline on the fan. And Grant, one of the things that I have been asking various uh, Mavs media members is about Jason Kidd and like the press conferences and the ways in which he is, you know, made decisions, but also spoken on those decisions. And you obviously uh, have been close to a lot of this have you felt that there's been like a a, a direction, a, a particular ethos that leads through all of them? Or have you felt like I have where it felt it feels a little disjointed in that there's not necessarily a cohesive thought process behind some of this?
2: I think in some of the things like the lineups. I think a lot of it um, probably stems from, uh, you know, trial and error. And then, uh, you know, in general, it's hard to kind of balance. I feel like if you're running a basketball team, like a lot of the things um, that you have to make decisions on, like if I want to favor, you know, defensive personnel, but we don't have enough offensive firepower, what can I do, uh, you know, with certain players uh, in roles? Um, And I think uh, that's kind of one of the problems that the Mavericks really have kind of faced throughout the whole year is kind of finding that balance. Um, And, you know, I think it's been a little bit of a challenge too with, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving being traded Uh, mid-season and then Luca and Kyrie have kind of been in and out of the lineup so it's even harder to kind of build like consistent continuity with a plan um, that you can kind of see progress through like an extended period Um, but I do think on like some of the like you know whatever you want to say like in terms of like philosophy on like game approach I think some of the you know the common uh, themes you see throughout the year is like um, you know, not calling timeouts uh, when there's like a big opponent run in the uh, second half, you know, especially in the fourth quarter against the Grizzlies. That was one of those, uh, you know, big uh, you know, like 16 point lead uh, go like kind of withers away. And then all of a sudden they lose the game. Um, you know, like when you ask Jason Kidd about something like that, um, you know, I think he's been pretty consistent in that regard of like, you know, we're going to just trust the players um and not necessarily uh um you know just call the timeouts like you know a lot of people disagree you know i personally disagree and i'm sure uh you know uh, maybe you guys disagree as well but like i think at least the the themes in those decision making uh, processes uh they i think they've been pretty consistent but like the answers sometimes uh you know they'll they'll drive some frustrations for sure
0: Grant, if you're coaching this team in the final 10 games of this year and you're trying to get this team on the same page and getting them ready for the playoffs, what are you looking to do and wanting to see over the final 10 games that give you some indication that the Mavericks can be a little bit better by the time you get to the playoffs beginning?
2: Yeah, I think uh, right now I think the best approach, um, since they don't have a guy like Dorian, is to play uh, Maxi Kleba at the four. Um, And then, honestly, I think, uh, you know, they're not going to necessarily um, change probably with this Christian Wood uh, starting or not starting. Um, But I I have seen, you know, him playing more um, the last couple games as opposed to, like, the the 16 minutes. Um, uh, I would definitely keep uh, playing him at a higher volume of minutes. Um, And I think, uh, you know, just continuing to trust young players, Uh, goes a long way. Like Jaden Hardy, uh, Josh Green, I think uh, sometimes um, it's more comfortable for a coach to put out a veteran. Um, But seeing like last game, Justin Holliday didn't receive, you know, a single minute and he, uh, you know, started like, I believe three games uh, in a row shortly after joining the team, like stuff like that. Um, avoiding is pretty important. I think just you know having trust in the young players and just you know continuing with the style that they have and seeing whatever they can get out of it and hoping that you can keep Luka and Kyrie healthy when they're both back in the lineup. I think those are probably the main things for sure.
1: Uh, this is a little off the beaten path here, but obviously you you've talked about going on the road this year and outside of maybe the obvious like players or Mavs personnel in particular who's been the most interesting person that you've gotten a chance to meet and maybe talk to uh, this season?
2: Um, I would say probably other media members. Um, like uh, before uh, flying actually to Memphis, um, I had like four delays on my flight, and uh, Tim McMahon was coincidentally on the same flight as me. Uh, so, yeah, we, uh, we, we were able to talk for a little while in the airport before we uh, finally were able to get uh, on the plane. And that was pretty cool because, you know, like there's there's quite a few uh, talented people that cover the team, especially the, like travel to the to road games as well, too. So being able to talk to people like that um, is always a good uh, experience for sure.
0: Mavericks take on the Warriors tomorrow, Grant. What are you looking for from the Mavericks to try and get a season series win against the Golden State Warriors, knowing how important tiebreakers are given how tight the West is right now?
2: Honestly, it's kind of a uh, a uh, not that uh, you know smart or deep answer, but just seeing if Luca or and or Kyrie actually are able to play, I think, is the big thing. Because uh, you know, luca has been trending towards playing and making a return, um, but Kyrie was already questionable over the last couple of games, um, even the ones that he did play, and uh, you know, he said he reaggravated. Um, you know his his big toe injury, and uh, you know he's going to exhaust all of his options uh, to be able to play. But if those two guys, um, you know, or one of them, have to sit out, um, yeah, that that definitely uh, lowers um, you know the ability or outlook or whatever you want to call it uh, to be able to get a win. Uh, but I think just being able to see um, outside of the stars, uh, just seeing how the the bigs handle rebounding. Um, And, you know, how the Mavericks can handle, uh, you know, chasing around Steph Curry, I think, are two big things because they've really struggled on the boards, even though they have gone, um, you know, with two bigs lately, which, you know, that's definitely not a good sign to see.
1: Uh, Grant, you mentioned, obviously, the Luka Doncic missing time and the idea that he might be on the road to recovery. Have you had an opportunity to see him at all in, you know, in an arena working out, anything like that?
2: Yeah, actually, um, I've seen him when, when the, the team was in uh, Santa Monica uh, before they played the Lakers game. Uh, he was on the court. Uh, that was like a, a first opportunity to kind of see him, uh, you know, doing things. Um, he, he was, you know, participating in the practice. Um, and then uh, recently in um, in Memphis, he was doing an on-court workout at shoot-around. And normally, um, you know, like actually when we were uh, leaving, like the they closed it up. For media members, um, you know, I, I'm assuming because um, he was still on the court with coaches, uh, that he was getting a uh, you know a more intense workout in uh, that they didn't want media members to see, which is always a good sign that a player is nearing a return, um, you know, to actual game action. So I think uh, you know a lot of things are trending towards him. I would say likely playing is my guess on Wednesday, but if not, I think it's very very close. Grant, tell the
0: folks so they can find you at and what you're going to be doing for the rest of the season here.
2: For sure, Um, you know I'm going to be doing uh, you know a lot of the you know analysis content and just uh, you know daily coverage of the of the Mavs on DallasBasketball.com and you can find me on Twitter at uh, Grant Afseth A F S -S E T H. Uh, Figure I spell that one out because it's kind of a weird last name for sure.
0: Well, we appreciate you taking some time with us. You've been doing a terrific job covering this team. All season long, looking forward to the rest of this season. Yeah, man. Thanks, Grant. Yeah, Grant Afseth, good enough to join us here on the Get Right with Reggie KG on 105 through the fan. Thank you so much, Grant, for your time. Really appreciate it, man.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: There he goes. Grant Afseth of DallasBasketball.com. Good enough to join us here on the Get Right. I'm really intrigued by the idea that, hey man, Luca been working and, you know,
1: he might be near he might be near to that place.
0: One could only hope at this point because they desperately need it. Luca plays, Kyrie doesn't.
1: Do the do the
0: Mavs beat the Warriors? Mm, no. Yeah, they on the road, dog. Come on, man. I, I know, I know, but yeah, that's how lack of confidence I have. T.S.J. Is.
1: playing too. What you think? Still? Come on, man. Ah, I'm
0: going to get
1: him. I'm going to get him. I'm going
0: to get him there. Coming up next, though, we go inside the gray area. The one request that Michael Jordan had for Ben Affleck. What? Next on the get right. Back here on the get right. Reggie KG on 105 through the fan. We just watched an epic battle between Shohei Ohtani and Mike Trout. For the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, Shohei Ohtani strikes out Mike Trout. On a three two was a slide piece at about eighty seven running away from him. Nasty bit. And what's funny is he had thrown a slider earlier in the at bat. He did. I think
1: it was when it was it was a one one slider. About the same placement. And Mike Trout, great eye, did not go for it. But the problem was, I mean the strikes that
0: uh, Otani did get before that one were just a 100 right Yo. down the pike like a dog. He told Trout, come hit this mi- 100 mile an hour down the middle. You want it? You want it or not? And the answer was no. No. <laughs> wow. Dog. What, what an epic battle that was. Japan wins the World Baseball Classic. On the shoulders?
1: I guess, obviously, there was runs, so I don't want to yes. make this but bringing in Shohei Ohtani <laughs> the DH on the game oh man to close it and my goodness, I, I mean, it's something I should have known, but Otani could be a closer if he wanted to because he was just He could do anything. Hunnits. He, he could do, do anything. He could do anything.
0: Hunnets. <laughs> That's <laughs> Like Shohei can do anything on a baseball field that he damn well pleases. Oof. Um, but, yeah, Japan wins 3-2 to two in the final of the World Baseball Classic.
1: And, really, he was maybe millimeters
0: away from striking out the first batter of the inning, wasn't he? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Wanda uh, McNeil got a walk. What's brought and up? And it was with it was like just very bottom of the strike zone. Yeah, barely mm-hmm. missed the black. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mookie Betts came up with a chance uh, to get two runners on in front of uh, Mike Trout. So B- Mookie Betts grounded into a double play, um, which set up Trout versus Otani with two outs in the bottom in the ninth inning, and. Otani said, I'm going to take this thing home for Japan. And they defeat uh, Team USA. Team USA, of course, was the defending, um, or excuse me, the reigning world champion uh, for the World Baseball Classic. But it is Team Japan behind the broad shoulders and future Texas Ranger, uh, Shohei <laughs> Otani. You're just going to manifest, we're gonna manifest it. We're just going to manifest it. That's what they be calling it? That's, that's what we're going to do, manifest it. Okay. Uh, but that was epic. Fun times. Fun times. Man, baseball. Love to see it. I mean, but okay, as we go inside the gray area here. I saw that this is what happens though when you get two of the best in your sport going at it in a you know a tournament like this. Too bad we didn't hardly know about it throughout the course of the what few weeks that this tournament went on because Major League Baseball does such a poor job of marketing that you had some really epic games in this world baseball classic. I'm glad it's coming back in 2026. Uh, Hopefully, they'll do a better job of getting this thing promoted going into uh, the next few years because, based on what just happened here, yeah, I can't wait to see this again. Hopefully, between you know the best stars of the game, you know that that was fun.
1: You know what? I also wonder, it's all all on Fox, on Fox Sports One in particular.
0: That's the other part. Yeah, this game is on FS1, right? I do wonder if that doesn't
1: because, look people can dislike ESPN all they want like for whatever reason right I'm not really here to litigate any of that with you I all we also understand like people call them the worldwide leader for a reason and angels because they call it them, them themselves like like they kind of do drive some of this and because this is not this is not a it's not a sporting event that's like a must on our calendar right now and on top of that, it's not a sporting event that they partner with. And so like I think ESPN not putting it there did not necessarily make it something that folks felt like they needed to uh that they needed to um keep up with. But you also mentioned you're right, right? Baseball doesn't particularly major league baseball doesn't do a great job at advertising. But nah, this was really fun. I mean, even the moments that we were able to click on during the show here,
0: you know, we've had a lot of fun watching it. I'm excited for baseball, man. Bro, that was an an 87-mile-an-hour slide piece that ran so far away from my try. He didn't know what to do with that. (laughs) That was crazy. Uh, As Japan again wins the World Baseball Classic in Miami, Florida, uh, the final where it took place there. As we are inside the gray area here, uh, are you excited to see the new movie Air? Mm. I'm going to say yes for the purposes of this segment. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate you playing along. You're welcome. Of course, Air, which stars Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, Chris Tucker, Marlon Williams, alongside Ben Affleck, and another actor, which I'll name here in just a moment, will hit theaters on Thursday, April 6th, and before releasing on Prime Video later on this year. Now, the story. The movie is about the story of Michael Jordan becoming a part of Nike and the story of how all of that came to be. But without Michael Jordan. But without Jordan being mm-hmm. in the film.
1: Now, Sonny Vaquero is one of the main players in this. So, Sonny Vaquero, like the human himself, I believe he's being played by what, Matt Damon? Mm-hmm. Uh, the human himself, fascinating individual. I believe that there's a book on him and I will find that information because it's it's fascinating.
0: During, despite his legendary career, there aren't as many movies about the Basketball Hall of Fame or his airness uh, as you might expect, and that's likely because getting the blessing from MJ is uh, no small task. But Ben Affleck, however, was able to get Jordan's personal blessing as his new film Air tells the tale of Nike's efforts to sign the legendary shooting guard to a sneaker deal before he entered the NBA. Now, at the film's premiere at South by Southwest over the weekend, Affleck, who also stars in the film as Nike founder Phil Knight, revealed the lone request that MJ had of him when it came to making the movie.
1: Don't disrespect his mama.
0: It's actually along those lines. Figured. The one request that Michael Jordan had of Ben Affleck was... Cast Academy Award winner Viola Davis as his mother, Dolores Jordan. There you go. And that's exactly what he did. Affleck saying, quote, Michael Jordan said, none of this would have ever happened without my mother. Who would you like to play your mom? Affleck said. Well, it has to be Viola Davis. Affleck said during his uh, film premiere at South by Southwest in Austin on Saturday. (laughs) Affleck saying, that's like saying... Can I play basketball on your court? Yeah. If you get Michael Jordan, <laughs> Viola Davis is the best actor I've ever seen. Right. That's what I was wondering. I was like, well, Mike was a little presumptuous being like, she'll be available. She'll
1: want to do it. And she did. Right. But I, in my mind, I'm like, what would he have done if she was like, actually, nah, I'll pass. Like, I do wonder. Where do you go there?
0: I guess you don't make a movie then. I don't oh, know. Okay. <laughs> Just all, it all shuts down after that? Mike well. like, shut it down then. Um, but so far... The movie has been earning rave reviews Mm -hmm. uh, after its world premiere at South by Southwest, as it currently has a perfect 100 critics score on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, there's only eight reviews of it so far. So, there's only eight. And one thing, can we break down what the
1: review, the critic review Rotten Tomatoes, like it's the percentage of the reviews that are positive, right? So, I... Sometimes I notice the people are like, oh, man, this means it's 100 percent good or it's 80 percent good. No, it's just like how many of the reviews were more positive than negative. Sometimes you have like, although, to be fair, if everybody's positive, probably a good sign. Right. But sometimes I always find it. I find it interesting. It's like, oh, man, it's got 80 percent positive reviews. But all the positive reviews are like, it's pretty good. You know. <laughs> um, also, the book about Sonny Vaccaro was written by Dan Wetzel and D- Don Yeager. It's called Soul Influence, Basketball, Corporate Greed, and the Corruption of America's Youth. Dan Wetzel, good writer. And wrote about Sonny Vaccaro.
0: Um, But I'm excited to see this. Uh, I think it's a very compelling story with a lot of tremendous talent, obviously, in the film. And it really doesn't get much better than Viola Davis uh, being cast as Michael Jordan's um, mother, Dolores. So looking forward uh, to seeing that again. It debuts April 6th. Uh, in theater is going to be on Amazon uh, Prime Video later on this year. For free or? I mean if you have Amazon Prime Video.
1: Fantastic. Because sometimes it's like oh it's on Amazon and then you go and it's like how about you pay this $5.99 to watch this movie and I'm like I'm good. Um, No if it's on Prime Video I'll watch it then. Fantastic.
0: (laughs) Uh, Shout out to my favorite women's basketball player of all time.
1: Oh I can't remember who it is. It's not Chrissy
0: Tolliver, is it? Uh-uh, Second. That's right. Don Staley was your favorite. That's right. Don Staley was named USA Today's Woman of the Year, one of USA Today's Women of the Year. Ah, okay, got you. Uh, a recognition of women who have made significant impact in their communities and across the country. Uh, the program launched in 2022 as a continuation of the Woman of the Century which commemorated the 100th anniversary of women gaining the right to vote.
2: Mm. Uh,
0: Dawn Staley, one of those women this year. Really, really good basketball coach, like
1: fantastic basketball coach. And one of the things I do love about her, she's very unapologetically her.
0: Yes. Um, Billy to the core.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So (laughs) she wears that pretty well on the bench, and especially in a time where, at least in college basketball, but in some ways kind of in basketball in general, we're losing some of the characters, Mm. you know, on the benches that – and I mean especially when it comes to college the characters on the benches are the ones that stay right the players kind of rotate over time and you get to know them over a certain uh, uh, over a few years uh you know when guys are there or when players are there for a, a, a period of time but like the coaches are the ones the characters that you know consistently they kind of dictate the ways that the teams are you know over a over a period of time, right? You know what a Jim team's team looks like. You know what a Tony Bennett team looks like. They both play zone, and they're for cowards. Uh, But, you know, those are the things that are interesting, and it seems like we're kind of getting more homogenous, at least in college, men's college basketball in particular. And so it's fun to have on the women's side, you know, obviously Geno remains, obviously Tara Vanderveer remains, but it's fun to have, you know, some more predominant um, coaching personalities on the bench.
0: Uh, for the 972, uh, I think that's a great comment. Uh, Don Staley may be the first uh, woman head basketball coach in the NBA. Um, I'm, I have no idea if she's interested in that, by the way. Not to say that like
1: she shouldn't be or whatever, or that she can't be. I wonder if that is something that she's interested in.
0: I, I, that's a great question. Um, I think she would make a tremendous head coach in the NBA. Um, her, uh, Becky Hammond, I think would be a tremendous coach in the NBA uh, as well. Becky Hammond with her, course, her vast experience under Greg Popovich as an assistant for a long time in San Antonio. Um, yeah, those would be the probably the two at the top of my list um, as far as um, women who would be head coaches in the NBA. I'm trying to think there's another one or and two. And what's what's
1: funny is we're getting a lot more women on staffs than I wonder if people realize. There's a lot of women on these NBA staffs That's very right true. now. So mm-hmm. I just am in- interested to see you know the development of various women in this league as potential head coach.
0: Shout out to Christy Tolliver, of course, uh, Dallas Mavericks assistant coach. Still
1: playing in the W, too.
0: She is.
1: I legitimately thought last she's year. She's back at Washington this year. Yeah, I thought last year was going to be the one. Actually, last year, even last year felt like a, a time where she was about to be done, and she mm-hmm. was like, no, nah, I'm going to come back and play.
0: Yeah, she's going to run it back one more time at Washington, so. Which I know you're happy about. I am, because I do, I do think this might be her final year, though, because she's going back to the DMV area where, of course, she was a star at Maryland. Um, so this would be a, a fitting off if she were able to, uh, she was, she was
1: with the, she was with the Mystics before she joined LA That was her original year. team.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's your trip inside the gray area here on the get right. We're KG on one Oh five three. I'm still fan. amazed by Shohei just blowing fastballs. Shield. past Mike Trout.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It feels good, man. Like, look, the, I obviously, we all understand stakes, stakes make, uh, sports a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Man, high stakes baseball really sits with you. You know what I mean? Like, and maybe it, maybe this is just a prisoner of the moment and high stakes anything really sits with you. But I really do love, you know, you get to play off baseball and you get those moments where everybody's like, hey, man, turn to this channel right now. There's at, crazy at-backs happening. And I'm having those feels just thinking about that Shohei Otani, Mike Trout at-bat. Fantastic. Fantastic battle.
0: Yeah, that's going to live rent-free in uh, the re- in our heads for the rest of 2023. What Shohei Otani and Mike Trout? Oh boy, you got a good memory.
1: I'm I'm talking about to the end of the week. That's the way my memory works. Sometimes we'll see. That's already one of
0: the best moments of of the sports count of the sports year already. Like I know it's just March, but that's that's gonna live. I can't remember what happened in January. That's gonna age well, though. My brain's funny like that. Coming up next on the Get Right with Reggie want on 105 through the Fan.
1: Oh, um, we'll give you some headlines. One, but our random thought: Who is your favorite under underappreciated former athlete? We say goodbye to a great, and we appreciate some others. Next on the Fan.